This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Here's the scenario. You've been injured in a serious accident. The doctor says your recovery could take months, maybe even years, yet your insurance company is denying your claim every step of the way. If something like this happens to you, call me, Brian Goldfinger of Goldfinger Personal Injury Law. We have offices in Toronto, London, Peterborough, and now Kitchener-Waterloo. Visit goldfingerlaw.com and get us working for you. Tuning in to the Raptors Reaction Podcast. I'm Miro Sampson Folk, and today detailing the Raptors' loss to the Los Angeles Clippers, who had Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Zubots, Marcus Morris Sr., Pat Bev, Nicholas Batum, Terrence Mann, Reggie Jackson, Rajon Rondo, new addition, DeMarcus Cousins, a pittance of Luke Kennard. They had everybody in except Serge, basically, and the Raptors. Obviously, nobody who is typically in their starting lineup, save for Ken Birch, participated in this game. I shouldn't say participated. Um, Fred Van Vliet was up coaching, or akin to coaching. He was wearing like a polo, doing his thing, yelling at officials, pointing out defensive uh, positioning and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, yeah, Gary Trent Jr., Boucher, Birch, Malachi Flynn, and the vaunted Stanley Johnson made up the Raptors starting lineup. That means Van Vliet, Lowry, Siakam, and Anobi, they were all out. And in addition to that, Watson and Rodney Hood with the uh, the healthy scratch that did not play coach's decision. Aaron Baines, who by all accounts is a great person. So he's just hanging out on the bench, hopefully helping the guys enjoy their time. They're cracking jokes that are maybe uh, maybe they haven't heard them before. Maybe they came over from New Zealand or Australia. You know, There's value in that. But the Raptors... Losing this one, and I think most people would have guessed that the Raptors were going to lose this one. A fully stocked Clippers team versus this Raptors team. It's uh, written in the stars, as it were. But there was definitely some exciting developments in this game. Malachi Flynn, his command of the floor has started to get really good. The minutiae, how he deals in the pick and roll. He's, he's getting much better. The foul drawing, it's starting to come along. You can see it developing. He's starting to read the second level of the defense better. As soon as you see a guy on ball who's not worried about his primary, that's a great thing because it means that their eyes are on the second level of defense, and that means that they can make their their teammates way more dangerous if they're good cutters, if they move into space well, which many players on the Raptors do. So that's really cool. This was maybe, it wasn't Jalen Harris's highest scoring game, but I would say it was his largest sample of on-ball exploits a lot of which I thought was very encouraging 
there is, you know, everybody talks about first step, but there is second step explosion. And like, if you want to get really into the weeds, third step explosion, how you explode after a dribble move, that kind of stuff. After the deceleration, guys like James Harden, who don't typically embody what we think of that is elite athleticism. Luka Doncic as well. Those guys are so good at decelerating and accelerating right afterwards. There's just so many ways to move on a basketball court that you don't just have to have that rapid first step like like a Kobe Bryant did, especially in his early days, where you just rip through and blow by guys. It's It doesn't have to be that. You can accompany your steps if they're a bit slower on the first step. Maybe you're a bit better after like a crab dribble, a, you know, a, a hip swivel and that kind of stuff, which Jalen Harris, that's the thing that I really liked in this game, was able to traverse around the court with... You know, there's going to be some resistance, of course, but with less resistance than I've ever seen before because he was kind of off kilter and kept the defense that way as well. If you can keep your defenders off balance and do it at a quickening pace, that's a big deal. And Jalen Harris, downhill, I think had his best game as far as decision-making, as far as explosion. He had 10 points, four assists. A lot of it came going downhill. Sure. Hit a catch-and-shoot triple. That's great. Everybody wants people to hit catch-and-shoot triples in the NBA. Makes a lot of sense. But the pick-and-roll stuff, really great. There, there was one play, the Raptors, on the right side of the floor. They ran Miami action. And if you want that explained, go to Bouncing Around Podcast on YouTube. I do it with Evan Gualberto, the genius that he is. But uh, Miami action come up the right side. Then they go into a stagger set coming back that way. And Jalen Harris had the ball for the Steger set, took it in stride, found Freddie Gillespie on the short roll. Freddie Gillespie, great decision, collected the ball, let the defense collapse, found Yuta Watanabe in the weak side corner. He missed, but if you're looking at a bunch of guys who are 905 at Jace, Freddie, who, you know, he's not even a 905 guy. Like Yuta Watanabe, he played for the Memphis Hustle. Both of them ended up in the rotation for the Raptors. That's great. Memphis Hustle doing a fantastic job helping out the Raptors. But Jalen Harris, 905 as well. But you see those guys, and they run an NBA-level action against an NBA-level defense and get a high-quality NBA shot. Does it go in? No. Does that mean that the whole thing was run amok? It's not valuable? Of course it's still valuable. You know these guys can run actions against NBA defenses, hit them in sequence, get all the notes correct, and create a shot in unison. That's extremely valuable. There's, of course, there's guys like, you know, Kevin Porter Jr., who was toiling away and has had troubles off the court with Cleveland and troubles in the locker room. But he was a guy who, you know, you could just plug him into somewhere and his explosion and the way he dances with his dribble, you give him pick and roll possessions, he'll be able to get downhill often enough and he's explosive enough that he's going to put up insane numbers which he has on given nights for Houston after I think it was the second round pick. There's a guy like that and his talent kind of transcends that because you know, you can plug him in places and he'll produce. And then you just want to be able to get him into schemes and stuff and be able to rein it in at times. But also you want to be able to just let him, Hey, Kevin, KPJ, we need a bucket. You can do that. Let that happen. I don't think Jalen Harris or Yuta Watanabe or Freddie Gillespie project as one of those guys in the immediate future. You know, Jalen Harris, the youngest, maybe he gets there someday. He's got a lot of herky jerk to him. Who knows? But the ability to run actions 
and get the intended function out of them at the NBA level. That's a super big deal. Not everybody can do that, and a lot of players fail at that, especially when they are the primary in that. Jalen Harris had a good game as far as being the primary guy. The stats won't wow you, but I got to tell you, that's pretty damn important. So I hope that's a big takeaway from the game for you. If you go watch, it's you'll like it, I think. Snake to pick and roll, keeping the guy chasing him at bay, managing the two-on-one situation that happens if you keep that guy at bay, keep him in jail, keeping an eye on the weak side corner, the stuff that Malachi Flynn was doing as well, Jalen Harris getting a bit of practice in. That's a big deal from your two draftees this year, Malachi Flynn, Jalen Harris, that they're operating downhill with a modicum of composure and competency and then a little bit of success. Super big deal for the Raptors. They're going to continue to develop these guys. Jalen Harris, his future with the Raptors is perhaps a little more murky than Malachi Flynn's. His playing time at the G League level and, you know, what might have been more call-ups and that kind of stuff, or just a unbroken ability to progress and improve and develop in the G League under normal circumstances, this this was a casualty of this season and how crazy and wackadoo it's been. But who knows what happens with Jalen Harris if he shows enough in these games, which he started to show stuff, and and attributes and skills that you don't typically just sign for cheap. So maybe you let him keep, you know, progressing, see what happens there, because there are a lot of guys who have like Stanley Johnson's kind of skill set in that he'll defend for sure. And like he'll bring a hard nose to the situation and his on ball stuff is how he's gotten places. And that's how he's stuck around in the league till this point is the tenacious on ball defense and you see gaffes as far as like his defensive feel and his ability to move in the team defense. And then offensively, he's been just an absolute mess. And I guess I'll address in this game, Stanley Johnson offensively was a mess. As, <laughs> when he gets the ball off a rebound, he takes the ball up the court. I'm just like, oh my God, dude, please give the ball up because you're going to do something with it that is just going to be so harebrained that it is a scheme for a cartoon villain in a kid's show. Like, that is how wacky some of these possessions are with Stanley on ball. So I'm just like, give the ball up. Try and stick to your strengths. I know on some possessions you show a little bit of a playmaking bent, but the absolute chaos that you infuse the offense with, and not successful chaos, the absolute chaos you infuse the offense with is not really worth it. There isn't a trade-off there that you like. And... If he's just trying to space the floor and grease wheels, he's also not effective at that either because defenses understand if the ball comes to him above the break, in the corner, whatever. If he's the release valve, the resting point for the offense, that's a huge win for the defense. So there's just him on the floor is a big problem for the Raptors. And he started in this game and that, you know, he can have really, really wonderful stretches defensively and if he hits a couple shots like he can try and stay above water offensively but more often than not it's just really tough to sustain winning NBA basketball with Stanley Johnson out on the floor and this game I didn't think was any different it was like yep that's that's Stanley Johnson he's he's doing his thing out there but you're gonna lose the minutes most likely because he just has a really negative effect on the court and that's nothing to say like Maybe there's a composition, a roster composition in the league that could bring him in 
and utilize him in a way. Like, he has NBA skills. It's just, I think this is probably the end for Stanley in Toronto at the end of the season. And who knows if it is in the NBA. He didn't get to prove what he set out to prove when he signed this kind of hashtag prove him contract with the Raptors. And I'm not sure that he can at the NBA level. We'll see. But yeah, in this game, not super effective. Gary Trent Jr., once again, <laughs> three for 16 from the floor. This is something I covered. Uh, I still think it's probably the most expansive piece on Gary Trent Jr. since he's joined the Raptors. If you want to know about the bones of his game, uh, go read that. Just type in like Gary Trent Jr., Samson Folk. I'm sure the piece will come up. It's it's pretty expansive. It should detail like the smaller parts of his game and why he's so prone to these types of streaks where he's, he's a guy who relies on jump shooting and he's a sub-elite jump shooter. Maybe someday, because he is the youngest player on the roster, he could become an elite jump shooter, and nobody should ever deny him that. But the athleticism, I talked about burst, I talked about second and third steps, and that Jalen Harris has it, and the deceleration and explosion afterwards, that kind of stuff that fuels great games like Luka Doncic and James Harden. Gary Trent doesn't have the first step, he doesn't have the second, he doesn't have the third, and he's not an explosive jumper. He's a guy who has to be on balance and step back into jumpers, and he has to hit those jumpers. That's his counter. Otherwise, he's got to move intelligently on offense, maybe get a backdoor cut, a 45 cut here and there. That's how he's going to get to the rim or in transition, which he even got to the rim in transition in this game, and that didn't even go down. And he has to form up off of drives as a shooter, come off of flares, pin downs, that kind of stuff. That's a lot of good stuff that he can do, and he has to do that. But since he's just a jump shooter, fundamentally, and there's not playmaking there either. And again, he's young, so he can develop this stuff, of course. It's just, it's tough. Right now, he's a jump shooter. He's a guy who's playing next to a lot of guys. You look at Malachi Flynn, Stanley Johnson, Ken Birch, Chris Boucher. Uh, you're not spacing the floor incredibly well. So Gary Trent Jr. is more cramped than ever as a jump shooter, which means more of his shots are going to be affected. He's going to have to take more difficult shots. He's going to have to create more space, getting himself off balance prior to every shot and the defense won't collapse as much on his teammates, which means that he in turn will be more covered. Yes. I, I said that already. And so he shoots three for 16 because he's not going to, he's not going to pump fake, get downhill and like take contact at the rim and finish over top. None of that is going to happen at least not often. So in games like this, he's just set up to have a lot of trouble unless he's absolutely like inferno, which we have seen. He has gone Inferno, and that's fantastic. But this game, it was not it. Freddie Gillespie, Ken Birch, Chris Boucher, the triplet of big men. Chris Boucher is so much fun sometimes. Like, he, he struggled from the same thing that Gary Trent Jr. did to some degree, is that he's more covered than he's ever been. He played a team-high 37 minutes, and they run him off of pin-downs. They run, run him off of dribble handoffs. He'll come downhill try and take like step back jumpers from the mid range. Like he pro his shot profile is similar to that of Gary Trent juniors in a lot of ways. If he's not in the pick and roll, if he's not getting like rim runs. And so if they're using him like this rangy Michael Porter jr. Type of player, who's just has to hit jump shots, you're not playing into the most efficient aspect of his game. You're going to get some wowing stuff like, He's going to make some plays, which he did in this game, but you're still looking at a guy who's 
not really equipped to attack that Clippers defense and make them pay a lot. And so, as you can see, this game was just an exercise of the Raptors being short-staffed and unable to hang at that level against the, the Clippers, who are, you know, to some people, they're not contenders. To other people, they definitely are. I'm of the mind that they are contenders. They're a very good team. They, like, they really, really are. And especially when Zubac is getting playing time because he's a very affecting big man defensively. You feel his size at the rim. The Raptors certainly did. There wasn't a lot going on there. And with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, both of whom are all defense level defenders when they want to be, how consistently they're hitting it. Not not as much as they have been in their prime, but still like the the floor of Paul George defensively is really, really good. He's he's his footwork on chases and stuff like that, his ability to harass players is really great. And he makes he makes a lot of actions on the weak side super tough if he's guarding them. He's such a hawk. And Kawhi Leonard, Raptors fans should know after watching him for a full year at the very least, if you didn't watch him in San Antonio or last year and with the Clippers, he's pretty damn good as well. A, a generational defender to some people. Zubac paired with those guys. The Raptors just had a lot of trouble getting downhill. They complicated a lot of their handoff sets. They complicated a lot of their pitch play sets. And they just made the Raptors feel harassed at every turn, every corner. And having to lean on guys like DeAndre Bembry to try and create off the dribble and above the break. And he did a pretty good job this game relative to how he's performed in a lot of games this year. The Raptors just, there wasn't a lot to go on offensively. And you can see that by the way that the points are distributed. They had... Eight guys playing, sorry, nine guys playing this game. Nobody scored less than eight points. Nobody scored more than 16. Boucher finished with 16. There was just, the Raptors were just kind of hot potatoing, hot potatoing the ball around, trying to see if anybody could get a sliver of, like, you just want to be open just for a second, find room for a jumper. Maybe you get downhill. Chris Boucher started off the game getting a block on a three, collecting it, going down for a dunk. It's just trying to Jerry rig and kind of duct tape the offense together to be able to score points. They they made their way through the game, but at no point did it look potent. At no point did it look like, oh yeah, the Clippers are going to lose their hold on this game. The Raptors, they, like I said, having guys like Harris, Flynn, Boucher, Birch, Gillespie run through sets and do it well, Watanabe as well, meaningful stuff, but uh, it's not going to cut it against these Clippers. And the Clippers especially with George and, and Leonard, who are both you know deeply affecting players and both, at the very least, all-star level players. Zubac was just an absolute menace. The Raptors pressed on the outside. They blitzed, they hedged, and Zubac just really penetrating movement towards the rim. He made it like there was always an outlet pass to him going downhill, and he was so in control. And the Raptors, a couple dig downs were successful. Yes, Malachi Flynn. Big shout out to Malachi Flynn, who's trying to take on the dig down king, uh, kingship, something. That's a word, I'm sure. He's trying to take that from Fred Van Vliet. But yeah, my God, Zubac just absolutely crumbled the Raptors' defense. They they pushed out because they wanted to pressure the guys like uh, Kawhi and Paul George. But you know that meant that Zubac was coming downhill with a lot of steam. And it's not like they have incredible backline defenders to stop it. Kem Birch, Gillespie have done, I think, an admirable job 
admirable job of stepping in, but they are not good enough to just completely, you know, stick the cork in this type of offense that the Clippers have. And the Clippers, when they, you know, they feel like, oh, we're not even reliant on the jump shot this game. We can just get, we can just get going downhill, whether it's, you know, Kawhi drawing free throws because he gets a switch that he really likes because Raptors are trying to flatten stuff out at the top or it's, you know, Zubach catching the ball downhill <laughs> or Terrence Mann, you know, that guy just getting downhill too. It's uh, the Raptors were not well equipped to stop the ball from going downhill. And you lose the game by like 20 points, 19 points when you can't score the ball and you can't stop the ball from getting downhill against your defense and a moving defense at that. So 115 to 96. I, I think there were a lot of fun performances from the Raptors in this one. I would never be disappointed with the team in a game like this unless you saw guys actively quitting. But what you did see in this game was a host of players doing their best, showing off developing skills at the NBA level, and guys who I think a few of them you'll see return next year and hopefully build upon games like tonight. It's They're not going to beat the Clippers, and if they did, I mean... Sing their praises, but even if they don't, sing their praises. These guys are doing their best. They're missing all, basically all of their best players. And so here you are, the Raptors, 115-96, to 96, they lose. It's, uh, it's just another game this year, and they're out of the play-on. They were mathematically eliminated yesterday, I believe, so it's uh, a loss. And, you know, tough cookies, man. That's just how it is sometimes. Reggie Evans Award, Freddie Gillespie, he's... He has a proclivity towards the things that make this award go. He's obviously in the running very often. Like some people have the advantage for the Reggie Evans Award. Gary Trent Jr., he's got an advantage in life because he's a super handsome guy and like good for him. But his play style, it means that he's he's got to have a hell of a game and other guys got to not bring it for him to win the Reggie Evans Award. It's not really in his favor. He doesn't have the proclivity towards the skills that make this thing go. Freddie Gillespie, he does, man. He He's born for the Reggie Evans Award, and I'm happy to give it to him. Anybody who can go up and contest at the rim, which was not really Reggie Evans' bag, but Reggie Evans' bag was just giving it all he had, leaving it all on the floor, and that is, that is Freddie Gillespie to a T. The dude is so charismatic. He's effervescent. Through the TV screen, you can feel. You can feel his happiness, his charisma. You can feel that he's got it going. That he'll leave it on the floor for his teammates, that he's a good guy in the dressing room, and that he hustles everywhere. You can see that too. So Reggie Evans Award goes to him. Top quick reaction comment from Chicky, 1738. Quote, that was a stinker, but I'm encouraged by Gillespie and his tough play inside. A full season of workouts and player development plus a training camp will do wonders for him. End quote. We're on the same page, man. I uh I hope he makes the team next year. I hope he continues to build on what He's already shown at the NBA level. I just talked about him, you know, how likable he is for the Reggie Evans Award. And, you know, he has shown, I think, an ability to pick up the scheme rather quickly defensively. Yes, he misses some stuff because, of course, he will. And who knows, maybe the Raptors will play an even more simplified scheme next year because this scheme this year was perhaps way too complex for the roster. I I do think that the Raptors are somewhat ill-equipped to play this style of defense. Better equipped than a lot of teams, but not well enough equipped that they can do it. And I think that was borne out, that that we saw that throughout the year. It was 
it was something they fell short on. And does Nick Nurse deserve maybe some, like you should be wondering why he didn't adjust anything. And he did adjust some things, but why not adjust it further to try and cater to the guys on the floor? Well, he did win the championship playing a very aggressive brand of defense. Maybe he's just trying to see in a lost season if guys can fit in the future team he has in his head that is competing for a championship and is playing this style of defense. Maybe that is the case. I'm not sure if it's tenable. I'm not sure if you're going to get Marcus Gasol, Kawhi Leonard, Pascal, like it's Danny Green. I'm just, I'm not sure that Kyle Lowry, I'm not sure that team, that type of defensive force is coming together again in the near future. Who knows? Because it's, yeah, and Fred Van Vliet as well. Can't forget him. He was he was fantastic on um, Steph Curry. And it's just, who knows if that, you can recreate that type of team. So I expect the defense to be, them to kind of shake things up heading into next season. I think it should be catered more towards the roster rather than the wishful roster that Nick Nurse might have in his head or what he wants from the players because that scheme is really hard to make happen. He talked a little bit about it, media availability, about how the guys of the past could operate on a string and how it was like a neural link and their ability to switch schemes mid-possession and jump in and out of stuff and to recover for each other. It was it was almost prescient, right? So I don't know that... I, I just think Freddie will have a better year next year and perhaps in a more simplified scheme. But thanks for tuning in. Whether you got into it in the morning or at night. Have a blessed day and goodbye.